Have you ever wondered why some business people are more successful than others? Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. The Mentor List specializes in interviews with top business minds. Listen to their stories, list their habits, and most importantly, gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Hi, welcome to today's show. Today we are having a chat with John Yo. John is the curator of TEDx Melbourne and chapter president of Professional Speakers Australia. Whether an audience of one or 1,000, we need to be able to quickly and effectively build rapport. John helps execs and brands design a meaningful and compelling brand story that connects and engages audiences. I hope you enjoy today's conversation with John Yo. John Yo, welcome to The Mentalist today. Thank you. So fantastic to have you on the show and you're our first TEDx licensee ah, on the show. Could so. be one of many. There's 3,500 in... Oh, wow. Okay. Well, around the world anyway. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, uh, thanks for giving up your time here at uh, Work Club. And the first question, as it always is, is if you could just tell the listeners about, about yourself and about your story. Sure. So I'm an executive coach, but one that helps executives find a clear brand message to articulate both internally and externally that connects and engages. So as, as you mentioned before, I, I do that in multiple guises. I'm the, the chapter president for Professional Speakers Australia. As I mentioned, I'm a speaker coach, but I think the one that you are alluding to and the one that I'm probably most known for is being the curator and licensee for TEDx Melbourne, which I've been doing for about eight years now. So you would have heard a lot of wisdom and advice. A lot from... of talks. <laughs> yeah. Thousands probably, I would say. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, it's part of the part of the deal, right? If, if, if you're in this game, if you're in the event space, you're always looking at speakers and listening to, to ideas. Yeah. And so, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the TED stage. It could be, I don't know, uh, the top 10 things happening, in, you know, top 10 influences in Melbourne or the, yeah. you know, people I know or... Uh, what I read or, you know, or see in the paper or, you know, it could be from anywhere because ideas don't live in one space. They live all over the place. And my job as curator is to discover and reshare them. Great. And so have you seen, uh, I mean, that, um, as you say, you've, you've heard a lot of talks. There must be themes running through these presentations or changing themes with the changing times. Yeah. From a topic point of view, there's always trends. Current ones, probably women, youth, diversity, equality, AI, robotics, etc. You asked me that question in a year's time, it might be different. Yeah. Uh, I know the women and youth one's been carrying on for the last few years. Underneath that, though, is really the essence of all great communication is really about someone being clear about what they stand for. And whether that's a message on stage or a business or an individual trying to find quote-unquote purpose in life, I found that the, the people that are always remarkable are very clear about who they are and what they stand for and very clear with their message. So, you know, r- nice examples were, um, I don't know, Martin Luther King, it was hi- I Have a Dream. JFK was man on the moon. Nike is just do it. Mm. You know, very clear, very simple messages that arguably are, are, are timeless. And I'm a big fan of, of, of principle-based thinking. And, and so if any idea or message aligns with a, a principle, in my view, I give it a lot more time because I, I think someone's thought about it to the extent where they've taken it to as simple as, simple as it can go, yep. but no simpler, using the uh, Einstein quote there. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, because if you can't make something simple, then you don't understand it yourself, I guess. Exactly. something I've heard thrown around exactly. a bit. Well, if, if it's not clear in your head, how are you supposed to explain it to someone else yeah. and have them understand 100% what 
what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So I guess this didn't happen overnight. And so how how do we sort of backtrack and Uh think about? So yeah, yeah. How did you fall into this space? So let's go back as far as probably is relevant for this particular conversation. I did a business degree in IT and not because I like technology. Well, actually, I do like technology. I like gadgets more than technology, but I actually like change. And so technology was easily the space that was changing the most often. But you know, I'm talking human change, technology change, industry change. I'm fascinated by the, the trends and trajectories mm-hmm. and the interrelationships of all those things as they come together. And that actually is the culmination of TED as well. TED began as the culmination of three original principles of technology, entertainment, design. And so in, in that sense, the work I did pre-TED and the work I do at TED, again, a principle. It's something that interests me in general. I began in the IT world as an analyst, but one of the things that I spent a lot of time back then doing was something called Y2K, for anyone who remembers what Y2K is. Yeah. Um, for those that don't, what the- Well, it was called the Millennium Bug. It was, it was given all sorts of fancy names, but it was effectively the date of, of a computer, 90, you know, 97, 98, 99, going into to zero. And that had massive repercussions because if you said, well, 1999 subtract 1997 is two years, we know that. But if you say, you know, zero subtract 99, that will take us back to 1901 instead of 2001. So there was this huge repercussion around how dates were stored in computers and how computers would manage that data future forward. And there's two schools of thought about, was that all a furphy or was that actually real? I was in the front center of it and it was as real as it got. 120-hour weeks, it was pretty thankless. Wow. It was very intense. I got offered an unlimited check to sit in a server room of a major bank in London. Great. <laughs> um, which I refused because okay. that's not why I was there and that's not who I am. Yep. But the really the intent underneath that or the, the thing that was happening, the story underneath that was that the reason it happened, because they knew about it for at least two or three decades, the reason it happened was because there were engineers who spoke tech speak at senior executives who didn't understand technology. Right. Now, you've got to remember back then there was no such thing as a CIO or a CTO. So there wasn't even a direct path by which a technology person could speak to a senior executive. And so these engineers were very, very bad at trying to explain something that relatively should have been very, very simple. And one of my skills was to be able to do that. Right. And so that happened for... 12 years worth of work to get that over the line. And then when TED came along, it was exactly the same. How do I help researchers or scientists or philanthropists simplify their life's work in 18 minutes or less? Mm. But I wasn't always the curator. I wasn't the original TEDx Melbourne curator. A friend of mine was, a friend of a friend. And uh, she had to decide in 2009 whether she was going to organize the next TEDx Melbourne or her wedding. So I, in some respects, inherited it by accident with a mail list of 53 people. It's kind of ironic back then. We've got like 12,000 now, but I mean, inheriting a list of 53 people, I mean, I'm pretty sure most of your listeners have more than 53 friends. So it wasn't terribly useful to me back then, but it was my tribe. It was a tribe of people who were interested in the future, who were open and optimistic, who were interested in change, interested in core principles and understanding why, and open to the exploration that their worldview might not be the only one that's valid. And that creates a really good uh, environment for new ideas, fresh ideas, cross-pollination of ideas, extraordinary collaborations, and and everything that's great about TED is probably equally valid in the modern world, especially in the entrepreneur world. Yeah, fantastic. And so, yeah, an email list of 53 is your starting point. Yeah, yeah, and I knew most of them. That was the funny bit. (laughs) Okay. And you're probably on it as well. 
Well, yeah, I, I was, definitely I was on it, yeah. Yeah, and I guess so now it's kind of evolved where it's it's not just events, but there's so much great content that TEDx is producing, not just here in Melbourne, but I guess globally. And so yeah. I guess, yeah, do you want to talk through that evolution? Yeah, TED's gone through some pretty major transitions. So I thought, a lot of people don't know that TED actually started in 1984. Wow. And so the first set of TED videos came to the attendees only as, as, as back then, Laserdisc, revolutionary. And it was only sent to the attendees. Now, to get into a TED event, and this is still the case, it's $8,000 to $120,000 for a ticket. And uh, for no other reason that there was so many, there was so much interest and the experience that they create is totally worth it. And I'll, I'll, if we get time, maybe I can explain that later. But I've been to some of these events. They are like no other event you'll ever go to. If you have achieved one thing in your life is see if you can qualify because you have to qualify to go to a TED event and see the extraordinary brain power and ideas and camaraderie that's in that room. It's, it's a space like no other. So it's, it stands to reason that extraordinary content would come out of that. But what was remarkable and revolutionary at the time was Ted chose in 2005 to give it away free on the internet. And that's pretty radical in itself. If you paid 120 grand for a piece of information and Ted decides to give it away for free on the internet, that's pretty remarkable. Now, even more remarkable was that Ted did that around the same time, maybe even slightly before YouTube was invented. Oh, okay. I just so, assumed that was... No. So you can even imagine back then they had a market size of close to zero mm. of people who just watch videos in general on the internet, much less TED videos. Yes. So again, remarkable. And then moving into 2009 where they said, all right, we're going to give free licenses for people around the world to create TED-like conferences, which basically meant you could use our IP and you can use our brand. Hopefully you'll look after it. Here we are. And so eight years later, I still have that TEDx... Melbourne license, right. and they still trust me with it, um, which is pretty <laughs> nice. These days, they're much more technical about how they quantify the value I create. Right. If anyone out there understands NPS or Net Promoter Score, you'll kind of get a sense of that, but I've got to be within the global average of, of a certain Net Promoter Score, which makes it difficult because that goes up every year, Right. which means I've got to improve my game every year. Yeah. It's a clever model, but to give that away for free is also remarkable. And now we've got, uh, you know, a tribe of Tedsters, as they're known, that watch a billion overviews of the TED.com website. And so does the Melbourne chapter, does that sort of feed up into the TED, I yeah. say, mother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is kind of like that. So I have an independent license, yeah. as I mentioned, and that's what the X stands for, an independently organized license. So while I'm not TED, I have a license to use the TED name brand and content to create TED-like experiences in Melbourne. And you know, we're expecting an event in September 19, 1,300 people, themes, revolution, uh, rebels, revolutionaries, and us. And it's really around edge thinking. What causes someone to be a rebel? What causes someone to to be, think in a revolutionary way? And how do we relate to that? Because it's interesting because you find that a lot of these people who are put on pedestals and called a rebel, they just go, oh, I don't know what's so interesting. I've been in this for decades. It just mm. happens to be topical at the moment. That's why you're interested in me. I don't consider it rebellious at all. It's just what I do. Yeah. So there's a really inter interesting inverse relationship too about you know what makes an idea revolutionary, and sometimes it's the small things continuously done over long periods of time that cause the revolution. Mm. That's interesting in itself. Yeah, it sure is. It's not like you know Facebook that turned up out of nowhere, or Uber turned up out of nowhere, or Telstra, yeah. that uh, Telstra, Tesla <laughs> that turned up out of nowhere, and you know they're the rare birds. They're you know well, in the industry tech world, they're called the unicorns. That's how rare they are. Yeah. Yet some for some people. They think that's what innovation is and that's what entrepreneurship is. And it is. 
but they're the exception rather than the rule. Good old-fashioned entrepreneurship is just basically getting your your nose bloody and, and your hands dirty for and and to come out the other side. I mean, a lot of people say, well, because TEDx Melbourne's one of the longest running and largest TEDx's in the world. And people go, well, how do you make it more successful? And you know, the honest truth is I've been willing to make more mistakes than anyone else. Yeah, right. And manage to come out the other side. And I think that's exactly the same for entrepreneurship. Yeah, it certainly is sort of the flavor of, not, not the flavor, but it's just so almost fashionable now Yeah, uh, to sort of label yourself in that entrepreneur category. And yeah. It's obviously been around forever, but now it's got a, a really yeah. a name and a, an image. And such Absolutely. Like. Um, okay, so, yeah, just, just sort of getting back to, you know, the amount of content you've consumed oh. live or, or on the TED. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it, was there sort of one talk where you've picked up some advice which maybe you could share with the listeners or even if it's advice that you've received yourself. Yeah. Look, sometimes sometimes it's one piece of information that hits you between the eyes and goes, wow. Like I said, they're kind of like the unicorns. They're not that common. It's usually a combination of a whole bunch of small things that make you realize the impact that it's having or not having on your life. And I don't know if any of your listeners out there are fans of quantified self, but I decided one day to document all the time I spent research and studying for myself in any given week. And at its peak, I worked out that I was doing that for at least 20 hours a week. Wow. So, so this is research and study on what sort of... Any topic, any area. So I would pick a topic, work out what I needed my outcomes to be, to be, work out what my milestones need to be, and then basically keep studying it to the point where I wasn't learning anything new. Now, that is not necessarily reading everything because some stuff I might have already started or had a head start. Some stuff, the knowledge about that area had already peaked or plateaued. That doesn't mean it won't go further. I mean, for instance, NLP is a really good example. In my view, as brilliant as it is, it's had three major turning points in its history, but it's at the moment at a plateau. Great tool. But that's as much as I can research on that topic without saying there's nothing radical or fresh in there happening at the moment. But I find that every three to five years something happens in NLP, so I'll go back. So you've just got to find out the rhythm or patterns of any given area of knowledge that you want to study and understand how it changes. IT will change pretty much every six months. Biology, well, the core biology won't change at all because you know, humans have been the same for tens of thousands of years, but our understanding of that core biology is is accelerating. So, you know, it might be every five to ten years, it might go to five years, it might go to two and a half years, it might go to every 12 months. It might be some sort of epiphany that turns out. And understanding the rhythm of things is actually more important. And it's ironic because I was actually thinking about this the other day, but it's one of the principles of physics is for any given atom to understand what it's doing, you need to know where it starts and which direction it's going. And if you don't understand those two principles, you can't understand anything else about that piece of that, that atom. Yeah, makes sense. It's a Cartesian plan type thing. But what I notice is that it's exactly the same with information. You need to know where it's at. You need to know where it's going. And then if you do enough sample rates, you can work out the rate of that change. And by knowing the rate of that change, you can decide how much you need to dip in or dip out to continue to study that. And so for me, it's the culmination of when certain things converge that are of interest to me. And I know this is a long answer to your very simple question. No, I'm just enjoying it. What we've got is a convergence at the moment of an environment that's on on the, the I'm not going to say meltdown, but certainly at a precipice. We've got an economy that is in burnout with politics on top of that 
being treated almost childishly. And we've got a, a government that's under great stress. Well, the political systems in general. And I, I don't care which side of the camp you're on for, from a political point of view. You're talking lo- locally? Or Glo- local and globally. I mean, you've got Brexit, you've got Trump, you've got the silliness happening at our local government level. It seems to be universal. And so it's the first time in history that not only are those all being disrupted, but they all massively impact each other in very dramatic ways. That is the bit that's interesting to me. It's the super scale of that concept that's not that's interesting to me. Not the fact of what's Trump doing today versus what he's doing last week or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what's the environment doing. Those are interesting too. But it's the culmination of those patterns and, and trajectories that are interesting to me. And they're the things I study. They're the things that are most interesting to me because I think you have a better chance of predicting the probability of the future and the rate of change if you understand the core principles that are affecting the environment. And I'm not using the environmental sense of environment. I'm talking about political environment, economic environment, environmental environment, and how they interact with each other, where you, you can kind of see where things are going. But to answer your question, are there any nuggets out of that? I used to treat all change the same. And then yeah. someone quoted, I think it was Buckminster Fuller, he said there's only two types of change, a cyclical change and structural change. Cyclical change is kind of like the weather. You know it's going to come back. And a lot of people panic when they see cyclical change. When it's technically, it's just, it'll come back. It yep. fashions the same, right? Then there's structural change. Structural change are the things that fundamentally change the world we live in. So structural change would be things like the motor vehicle, the internet, yep. steam, universities, universal knowledge, universal healthcare. These are things that even at a small scale, if applied to lots of people simultaneously, dramatically change the well-being yep. of of the humanity that's you know that's influenced by that. So you know, motor cars, great example. Uh, vaccinations, another really good example. Or, or sanitation, you, water, and those sorts of things. And, and that's what that's what the UN is always focusing on. They're they're always trying to find out well, what is the structural change things that we need to focus on in the next thirty years yeah. and commit resources to that. And you know, that's a smart way to do it because if you get sucked into what's happening with Trump this month, the one thing we can count on, whether you like him or not is he won't be there in eight years' time. In some respects, I like the fact that he's in power because he's putting things on the table in a way that no one else would and forcing anyone who was sitting on their hands to actually go, this is ridiculous or I love it. We're suddenly getting people getting off the fence and deciding what they really believe in. Good, vigorous conversation is the domain of any great idea. And so coming back to Ted, if you think about great ideas, Ted is the modern day renaissance of what would be the Bohemian days back then where there used to be those cafes and coffee shops where all the intellectual glitterati or whatever word they used back then all came together and, and talked about their ideas together. Ted is just a digital version of that. And this is what makes that Ted interesting is it is the conversion of all these expertise in various places all over the world, simultaneously interacting in a way that we've not seen before. And I'm lucky enough to be at the crossroads of that and to see it both incoming and outgoing and and, and explore those changes with people in a good, old-fashioned, vigorous conversation way. In fact, I've had one person who eyeballed me across the dinner table. She was from New York. She goes, and this is at one of the conferences, she goes, you know I disagree with you. I said, yeah, I know. She goes, but because you're a TED fan, I know that you can hold an idea that's contrary to mine and equally and objectively analyze it in a way that you see fit and I can respect that and we can respect each other even though we knew we didn't necessarily agree and we were okay with that. Very, very few people can do that, 
can can sit like people go i like trump i hate trump or i like the environment i hate the environment i we should be doing more for equality or we should, uh, this is over quality is overrun it's not that black and white if the world was that black and white all the world's problems would have been solved already it's the fact that there's lots of nuances and complexities and timings and all that sort of stuff that we go okay what's good about that scenario what's bad about that scenario and what can we have as a conversation piece to help el- us understand each other when humans understand each other that or even understand themselves that has extraordinary impact on the quality of relationship you have with that individual or with yourself i was just writing that down i really like that um quote quote you on that <laughs> speaking speaking of quotes is, is there a quote that yeah 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 so i look there's look there's there's some quite clever ones about you know einstein about the level of thinking which i think everyone knows about there's another one einstein does around if you measure the capability of fish by its ability to to climb trees i can't remember the exact quote that one's quite clever but the one that i always go back to that's consistently true for me is um, a thoreau one If, if one advances confidently in the direction of their dreams they'll meet success unexpected in common hours and what was interesting with that one is he said confidently in other words you might know you might not know you might get it right you might not get it right but if you advance confidently in the direction of your dreams you will achieve you will achieve out, i think it was outcomes or goals what he said unexpected in common hours and there's a lot to be said around the power of concentration and focus i think it was bill gates where someone interviewed him said if there's one skill that someone would have to achieve anything in life what would that be bill gates said focus and one of the things that i've spent my entire literally the last 10 15 years doing is unless it aligns with my core principles 100% not 98 not 99 not 50 i won't do it anymore i've become much more comfortable saying no to things that don't quite align even though i'd really 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 want to do them right because you only get certain number of hours in the day there's only certain number of things you can concentrate on and unless you focus on the only important thing that's important to you you will always get distracted by the things you should quote unquote be doing And that's a problem with you know that lack of clarity is the one thing that will undo every single talk it will undo every single business it will undo every single organization it will undo every single family if they're not unified in the direction they want to go it's only one degree of difference that can really make a big difference 10 20 years down the track where you suddenly realize we're not even on the same we're not only not together we're not on the same page anymore and so you know we've got to do that both externally but also internally in choose in terms of what we choose to do or not do and then i think it was uh oh i can't remember his name now grey-haired old guy which is usually what happens it'll come to me but yeah but coming back to clarity is clarity is so important in terms of who you are what you stand for where you spend your time who your friends are how quickly you get to where you're going to go everything else must be secondary Can we work this into because it's obviously something that you're continually working at. Yeah. Therefore, I'm sort of picking up it might be some habits that support, I guess, yeah. either getting that clarity or maintaining. Do you want to maybe? Yeah. Clarity is probably it's the easiest thing to say and quite possibly the hardest thing to do. Some people call it flow. Some people call it zen. Some, you know, there's a whole bunch some people call it mindfulness. There's a whole bunch of words, but essentially it comes down to how do you find your stillness 
or how do you find what lights you up and stay with that? Deepak Chopra actually had a really nice sort of analogy for that. He said, if you are in the middle of the ocean, with, you can't see land, and all you can see is 30, 40 foot waves, huge waves, you're in a storm. And let's say on the other side of that wave, someone dropped the Empire State Building, would you necessarily notice that wave? And he said, take another example. If that ocean was like glass, still as, and someone dropped the Empire State Building in it, would you notice? The answer is, of course you would. So it's actually the stillness that creates the clarity. And I'm not saying, you know, that any of those states require you to sit on the mountain and meditate for the rest of your life. Some people get into flow playing sport or playing music or playing with their pet or their kids. Some people get into flow by dancing or singing, playing music. There's a whole bunch of ways to find that flow. When you get into that flow, you are 100% present. And when you are 100% present, it is 100% clear about what's important to you and what isn't and what brings you joy and what doesn't. But also at that point, it's a great opportunity to reflect because when you reflect in that state, it's actually really, really clear to understand what's important now and what isn't. It doesn't mean it won't be important tomorrow or the next day, but what's important now. If you do what's imp- the most important thing now for the rest of your life, that's where you get achieving outcomes in uncommon hours because you're singularly focused on getting the most important thing done first. I think it was uh, Washington who used to have, I don't know the word he used, but he used to have these intense hours where he'd pick, say, a day and he would only focus on the most important project that he could think of and spend his entire day doing that and then spend the rest of his time executing on that. So the habit, I guess I'm talking about there is have a practice of finding stillness if you can finding clarity about that one thing, create time for that intense hours. So for me, it's three hours on a Monday afternoon and about 95% of the time I hit that. And so this is three hours of, of one. I focus on the most important project that right. week or okay. month or year. Yeah, so dedicating time solely to that. Okay. Yeah, not get distracted. So phone goes off, internet goes off, all that sort of stuff. It, it, for, I'm an, an analog type of guy. I like to smash it out on paper. So, you know, what's happening in the big chip? What does that look like? What are the components? What is the order? What do I need to achieve that? Do I have all the resources? Do I have the time? Is the timing now to do that? Is the timing later? Who else can help me with this? Because I might not have all the skills or resources. What do I need to know? What don't I know? I just break it all down and then put it all into a schedule so I know that when, when I get up in the morning, I haven't done this one thing I'm going to spend my intense hours just doing that one thing. And you can even go more granular than that. Well, it seems like it's working for you. Well, it's building the practice of habit or building the habit of practice even of doing that one thing over and over again to the best, absolute best of your ability every single week or every single day or every single moment if you can do it. Great. And um, yeah, so thanks thanks for sharing that habit. The other thing I wanted to ask you it just said there's a book that you'd recommend. Um, sure. There's yeah. lots of great books for lots of different reasons. The one probably for your audience that I can think of is The Business Model Generation by, I'm going to say his name wrong, it's some Scandinavian name. I think it's Oosterwalder. Please forgive me for the pronunciation. Business Model Generation. Business, yeah, Business Model Generation. It's an excellent book that allows you to really clarify what your business is about, what you stand for, who your target audience is, what's important to them, how do you ultimately serve them, and how do you do it in the best possible way? Great. Super, super valuable from that point of view. But, I mean, there's lots of different books for lots of different reasons. But that one's resonated. Isn't well, that's the current one, I guess. From a, from a, if, if I was to put my entrepreneur hat, that would definitely be the book. Yeah, no, fantastic. Yeah, I'll make sure I link to that uh, up 
on thementalist.com.au. And yeah, just before we sort of wrap up, I wanted to talk about your upcoming TEDx event yeah. in Melbourne. So maybe yeah. you can, I mean, I'm certainly sure the listeners will be interested in, in TEDx Melbourne. Yeah. Am, and I look forward to seeing you there. So obviously, TEDxMelbourne.com is where all the information goes into the speakers and times and dates and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, some of the topics or themes we're exploring are things like, what is it to be in the mind of a rebel? What, how do they think differently from us? What is it to be in the mind of a revolutionary? What causes them to do revolutionary things? It's surprising what you'd, you'd hear from that. Things like uh, the usual topical things, what's happening in AI and robotics and how is that impacting things like anything that's highly logical or highly repetitive, so law, yeah. um, finance, bits of medical, uh, and how that's going to dramatically force us not only to reshape how we live and work but who we, how we consider ourselves as human beings. Because if a computer can automate all the logical stuff, the only thing that humans that computers can't do is all the creative, courageous, fantastical stuff. So uh, accounting's not a uh, <laughs> it's not the best profession. Well, not in its yeah. current form. I mean, look, it will still require a, a human to do the decision making, but it will it won't require the human to enter the data or do the math, yeah, which right. we already see the beginnings of anyway. But to a greater extent. Uh, someone told me something, and I can't remember the exact data, so don't directly quote me on this, but they said that kids in grade three, I think it was, by the time they graduate uh, and get their first job, all of them will be using a decision-making robot. Wow. So decision-making support, some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, in many respects, we do that to a degree already. You know, your GPS is that. Yeah. Siri is that. True. Like they picked the best path. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought of it in that context. It's just it'll be universal. What are the, some of the other topics? We're going to talk about stuff that's a bit more Australian-centric around the, the, the farcical silliness around you know, Melbourne versus Sydney and the whole state versus federal thing because the reality is that the, the regions that are most successful are the ones that are able to get over themselves and work together and collaboratively. So I'm talking like New York, Boston-type hyper-regions or LA, San Francisco hyper-region or Beijing, Shanghai hyper-region. Australia doesn't have a hyper-region. And it's a massive, massive competitive disadvantage moving into the digital age. Right. So, you know, something a bit more economic-centric. We've got some scientific stuff. We've got some psychological stuff. We, you know, all different disciplines. Yeah. But all, you know, on the edge of and what that will mean to us in, you know, starting from today all the way to 10, maybe 20 years' time. Fantastic. Okay, so TEDxMelbourne.com is where we can get yes. a ticket and find out more about that. Yes, you can. Fantastic. So, John, yeah, thanks again for your time today and chatting with the listeners. Just for those that are resonating with what you're saying or they want to get in contact with you about TEDx or the, some of the services that you offer, yeah. um, how do they do that and who should be uh, contacting? The easiest way is on LinkedIn. So, okay. John Yo, TEDx Melbourne on LinkedIn, I think it's pretty sure it will come up up the top there. The one request, that I have one request. I have, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like uh, how, how good am I. I get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of connection requests from people I've never heard of. If you've heard of me or you want to connect for an, a, a meaningful reason, I'm more than willing to connect with you. But just put a note, I heard you on this podcast or I saw you here or I don't care what you put in there. Just put yeah. anything because I, I basically have to say re- reject, reject, reject for all these people because I, I, can't, I can't keep up with everything and I can't keep up with everyone. I want to have meaningful engagement. I want to have meaningful conversations. That's why I'm involved with TED. That's why I do what I do from a speaking point of view. I help people connect. And if you just want to connect for no particular reason, that happens sometimes. You just go, one day this person might be connect, you know, might be useful. 
put it in the damn note. Just go, I don't know what we're going to do now. Yeah. We might be useful in 10, 20 years, five years, one month's yeah. time. I don't know. Just put something there so I know that that, that you've reached out via this podcast because I will pretty much reject everyone else who just says friend request. And I don't care whether it's, you know, any any channel, but I mean, yeah. Facebook's, uh, not Facebook, LinkedIn's the best one because I can get a sense of who you are as a human being. Mm. Yeah. I'd imagine you'd probably get a few requests around people trying to contact you that maybe talking on TEDx. I get hundreds and hundreds of applications a year for TED Talks. So a lot of people try and connect and then they go, I want to do a TED Talk. It's like, Get in line with the th- – I'm not trying to sound rude. There is a line. It's a process. Uh, I, can't, I can't field personal emails in the vain hope that you might have a TED Talk. If you've got a TED Talk, great. I'd love to hear from you. TED Talks in particular, better to go to TEDxMelbourne.com and use the application form yep. because that's where I'm going to push you anyway to answer some standard questions like what do you want to talk about? Yes. Otherwise, otherwise it's just – like I said, I get hundreds of connection requests a day from all channels and I can't accept them all in the vain hope that I hopefully know what you're talking about. Yep. Give me some context and we can, like I said, we can connect in a more meaningful good. way. Great. Okay. Well, yeah, thanks thanks again, John, for your time today and um, for those listening in, tune in again next week for another great show. Great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Mental List with your host, David Lewis. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to just take a few seconds to leave a rating and or comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.